0: This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America.
1: Hello, welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Douglas Mpoga, and here is what's coming up.
2: We are not asking for anything other than standing with us against this aggression. We are facing a massive calamity.
1: That was Riyadh Mansour, the Palestinian ambassador to the United Nations, calling for support from attendees at the non-aligned movement summit in Uganda. Also, a suicide bombing in Somalia's capital killed three people and injured two others. And Libya's prime minister proposes a gas pipeline from Nigeria to Europe, passing through Niger and Libya. All this and more coming up on African News Tonight. The world is on course to see its first trillionaire by the end of the decade, according to a report by Oxfam. The charity is warning of a big increase in global inequality, fueled by growing corporate power as hundreds of world leaders and chief executives head to the Swiss Sky Resort of Davos for this year's meeting of the World Economic Forum. Henry Rijewel reports. The Blue Origin
3: Rocket Company is just one of the ventures owned by Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, and one of the top three richest men in the world, according to Forbes. The charity Oxfam says Bezos' wealth, and that of other multi-billionaires, has increased sharply, while much of the world is getting poorer. Nabil Ahmed is a co-author of the Oxfam report. The world's richest five men, and they all our men i should add have more than doubled their fortunes this decade since 2020 and that's at the top while five billion people nearly five billion people have been made poorer at current rates the world will see its first trillionaire within a decade while it'll take over two centuries to end poverty oxfam says the global economy has entered a new era in which corporates are funneling immense wealth but also control over our economies into the hands of an ultra-rich few. Bezos and other multi-billionaires say their companies generate taxes and jobs. The Oxfam report was published as world leaders and top executives arrived in the Swiss ski resort of Davos Monday for the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum. The summit is being overshadowed by wars in the Middle East and in Ukraine, which has constructed an exhibition in the center of Davos showing the suffering caused by Russia's invasion. Bjorn Geldhoff of the Pinchuk Art Center in Kyiv is curator of the exhibition
2: in Davos. Ukraine needs help. Ukraine needs all support and all weapons it can get to be victorious, not just because this is defense of Europe's freedom, because this defense of life itself.
3: Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is due to address the summit later in the week, and there is speculation that he could meet China's Prime Minister Li Qiang, a key ally of Moscow. The Davos meeting will address high global debt and interest rates, along with new economic challenges and opportunities, especially artificial intelligence, or AI. Aidan Gomez is chief executive of Cohere, a Canadian artificial intelligence company.
2: I think it's important to think about the opportunities for good. Um, and it's not spoken about enough, but I I think you're going to see some pretty incredible things coming as an output from AI. Um, and I hope people don't discount that or, or forget it.
3: Critics argue the Davos summit is an undemocratic get together for the global elite. Its supporters say that in an increasingly fractious and uncertain world, dialogue like that taking place at Davos is vital. Henry Ridgewell, VUA News, London.
1: The summit of the non-aligned movement got underway this week in Uganda's capital Kampala, where delegations for Somalia and the Palestinian people are lobbying for support. While the Palestinians are urging members to find a way to end the conflict in Gaza, Somalia says it needs support to maintain its territorial integrity. Halima Atman reports. 93
0: out of 120 nations in the non aligned movement have gathered in Kampala for the 19th summit of the movement. For the plenary session that began Monday, Arab nations made clear that Gaza must be the focus of the meeting. Delegates said the NAM summit must find the right language to address what they called the violent and savage aggression by the state of Israel in perpetuating a genocide in Gaza. A delegate from Mauritius said the summit must make a political declaration on the war, which broke out October 7th after the Palestinian militant group Hamas attacked Israel, killing 1,200 people and taking about 240 hostage, 105 of whom were released in November. Israel's military response has killed 24,000 Palestinians. Riyadh Mansour, the Palestinian ambassador to the United Nations, said he does not expect any country to disagree with calling for a ceasefire and humanitarian assistance for the 2.3 million Palestinians displaced from
2: their homes. We are not asking for anything other than standing with us against this aggression. We are facing a massive calamity. I don't think that it is exaggeration from us to expect support from our brothers and sisters from the movement.
0: Uganda recently took over chairmanship of the non-aligned movement from Azerbaijan. Vincent Bajire, the permanent secretary at the Ugandan Ministry of Foreign Affairs, says the agenda for the plenary session will be decided by consensus.
1: We have not subjected the matter of Palestine and Gaza to whether it should be the major topic that we discuss. So Uganda will focus on creating cohesion within uh, the movement to ensure that we can work together as a movement uh, for the good of humanity.
0: Delegates from Somalia are calling for the 120-state movement to support its territorial integrity and sovereignty. Early this month, Ethiopia signed an agreement with Somaliland, a breakaway region from Somalia, giving Ethiopia access to the sea. In return... Ethiopia would consider recognising Somaliland as an independent country. Hamza Adan Hado is the Permanent Secretary in the Somali Ministry of Foreign Affairs.
1: And that it violates our rights, our integrity and our unit. So that's why we are pushing and we believe the peace that we had will contribute if a non-alignment movement uh, members uh, stand with us.
0: Both Somalia and Palestine have five days to convince delegates to prioritize their concerns and come up with resolutions before heads of state fly into Uganda for the summit at the end of this week. Halima Thmani for VA News, Kampala, Uganda.
1: A suicide bomb blast in Somalia's capital city, Mogadishu, killed three people and injured two others. The militant group Al-Shabaab is claiming responsibility. A police spokesperson told Reuters a suicide bomber being pursued by police blew himself up outside the Al-Hindi restaurant in Mogadishu's Hama Wain district. The Al-Qaeda-affiliated Al-Shabaab group said in a statement that the blast had targeted local security officials. Al-Shabaab frequently attacks military outposts and civilian and government targets as part of a campaign to topple Somalia's government and rule based on its interpretation of Islamic Sharia law. A Turkish court has convicted the son of Somalia's president today in the death of a motorcycle. Courier and sentenced him two and a half years in prison. The AP says it then commuted the sentence to a $910 fine. Mohamed Hassan Sheikh Mohammoud was charged with causing death by negligence after a, diplom- a diplomatic car he was driving hit the mot- motorcyclist on a highway in Istanbul in November. The motorcyclist died six days later. Taksh Media report said uh, Muhammad returned to Turkey last week to testify about the accident. You are listening to African News Tonight. I'm Douglas Simpoga in Washington. For more information on these and other stories from the continent, please see voaafrica.com. There you'll find all of your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. For world news, check out voanews.com. Libyan Prime Minister Abdul Hamid Deba has proposed a bu- building a gas pipeline from Nigeria to Europe passing through Niger and Libya. Discussions occurred during a meeting with the Secretary General of the African Petroleum Producers Organization, Omar Al Farouk, who was in Tripoli for the twenty twenty four Energy and Economic Summit that ended yesterday. VOA senior analyst Mohamed El Shanawi spoke with Valgang Puzai, former Austrian military attache in Libya about the proposal.
2: Well, There is a discussion about the gas pipeline from Nigeria to Europe since the 1970s. There are several options on the table. One is a Nigeria-Morocco gas pipeline project and further on to Spain, which is most of the part is offshore, so along the West African coast. And there have been already several MOUs signed with the countries along the coast. But nevertheless, keeping in mind the currently political debates in Europe about green energy and so on, it is not likely that this will be constructed. The other main project is the Trans-Sahara gas pipeline. This one is planned since 2002, and it should connect Nigeria through Niger with Algeria's giant Hasi-Armel gas field in the northern Sahara. And from there, there are several pipelines going to the coast, two of them further on to Europe. So this would be probably much cheaper than the Nigeria-Morocco gas pipeline. And since the invasion of Russia, of Ukraine, it is again on the table, and there is again quite a discussion about it. And I would say even if there are maybe discuss, uh, investors ready to fund such a project through the highly unstable country like Niger, if they have the option between going further on through Libya or through Algeria, I'm pretty sure that they will take Algeria, which is far more stable. And in Libya, we need to keep in mind there is a problem not only about jihadists, but also about rogue militias and about blockades by protesters. Further on, it would be necessary to expand the stream pipeline from Milita to Sicily. So it's a costly project and a highly risky project. I don't think this will materialize. The Weber has met with representatives of a number of foreign companies representing Italy, Spain and France to discuss cooperation in oil exploration and investing in Libya's energy potentials. What's your take on that? Not an easy question. On one side, Libya has Africa's largest oil reserves. 48 billion barrels, the ninth largest in the world, and the seventh largest gas reserves of Africa. On the other side, there are several unfavorable circumstances for major investments, especially the legal uncertainty about security, the Jihadists, criminal and rogue militias that I've mentioned before, and also about the protests and oil gas blockades. With regard to the legal certainty, we need to keep in mind that there was now a contract negotiated between the National Oil Corporation and an ENI-led international consortium, which is now on a halt because of significant troubles inside Libya. So investing while keeping the global energy transition in mind and the peak of oil consumption consumption coming up soon before the end of the decade, it really m- needs to make sense and it nearly makes the sense from a financial point of view. And Libya should be aware that the country is not the only one for major investments of the giant energy companies and that their time is slowly running out. Libyan Minister of Oil and Gas Mohamed Oon discussed the establishment of the African Energy Bank to support petroleum industry projects and utilize the production of renewable energy on the continent. How significant is such a bank for achieving that goal for Africa? The establishment of the African Energy Bank is certainly an important step for African countries to become more independent from external sources of funding, especially keeping in mind that several of the industrialized countries and major financial institutions intend tend to end the financing of fossil fuel projects. It is important that the Apo Bank really funds projects with a serious future prospects to be successful. A right balance between oil and gas projects and renewables will be key and keeping the future global energy demands in mind, investments into the future. A cornerstone could be or should be green hydrogen, especially in the coastal regions. The basic question remains, will it be possible to attract sufficient international investments into the bank?
1: That was Wolfgang Puzai, former Austrian military attache in Libya, speaking with VOA senior analyst Mohamed El-Shanawi. Former President Donald Trump is the resounding winner of the 2024 Iowa caucus, finishing with more than 50% of the overall vote. As VOA's Ken Farabaugh report from Des Moines, dangerously cold weather that descended on Iowa ahead of the caucus impacted turnout with overall participation down this year after reaching record highs in 2016.
4: Extreme freezing temperatures didn't deter Sarka Moore, From attending one of former President Donald Trump's final 2024 Iowa caucus campaign events, it also didn't dampen her plans to show up in person to support him on caucus night.
0: I'm excited, very
2: excited. It's my first time.
4: Moore, an immigrant from the Czech Republic, spent time researching the caucus process as a first-time participant motivated to support Trump.
0: I loved uh, his policy. Everything was great. And, uh, um, Trump's an- administrations, no wars. economy was great. and the, uh, there wasn't like open border. Trump's
4: campaign resonated with Iowans, who braved the cold and ice across the state to deliver him a win with one of the largest margins of any Republican candidate in the contest's history.:
0: You know, I would say this is a pretty good turnout.
4: Jan Good cast her vote at a caucus site inside a high school gymnasium in the Des Moines suburb of Ankeny.
0: And I think the people that were absolutely determined were going to be here. Some of, I do know of some folks that were older and they chose not to get out. It it was slippery coming in.
4: Good's vote went for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who won the overall count at her specific caucus site.
0: We're caucusing for what we believe in, and I think that DeSantis is what what I believe in, and I still appreciate Trump. I appreciate what he did. I appreciate how he got it done. I appreciate who he was at the time. Uh, Unfortunately, rightly or wrongly, chaos follows him.
4: DeSantis edged former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley to take second place in Iowa. Businessman Vivek Ramaswamy, who finished fourth, bowed out of the race and endorsed Trump. Among those who finished at the bottom of the results is former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, who didn't hold back his criticism of Trump on the campaign trail. People don't like hard truth. And if they have an opinion on something and someone speaks against that opinion, yeah, uh, they don't think as much of you. And so your negatives go up a little bit. But uh, I also have confidence that uh, I've spoken in the right way. I've spoken as a gentleman. I've spoken what I believe. And uh, that, in the end, is what is important. Both Democrats and Republicans typically participate in the Iowa caucuses, but this year Democrats turned to mail-in ballots for their presidential preference, with incumbent President Joe Biden expected to win that final tally. Democrats are focusing on the South Carolina primary in February as their first major election event, amid criticism that Iowa and New Hampshire aren't diverse or big enough to play a prominent role early in the nomination process, something Iowa's former Republican governor, Terry Branstad, disagrees with. The system that we have, the Iowa caucuses followed by the New Hampshire primary, means that real people in the caucus state of Iowa, in the primary state of New Hampshire, have an important say in choosing who the leader of this country is going to be. The campaign for the Republican nomination now shifts to New Hampshire, a state which looks to have better weather and perhaps turnout than Iowa, as it hosts the first in the nation primary election January 23rd. Kane Fairbaugh, VOA News, Des Moines, Iowa.
1: The Africa Cup of Nations tournament is underway in Abidjan in Ivory Coast. A delegation of U.S. diplomats, White House officials, and top sports stars were there for the kickoff. U.S. basketball star Chineme Ogwimuke was part of the delegation. Her parents moved to the U.S. from Nigeria, and as children, she and her sister Neka played at Stanford University. Both now play for the Los Angeles Parks in the Women's National Basketball Association Pro League. Chineme Ogumike also hosts a regular basketball radio show for the ESPN network in the U.S. She spoke a few days ago at an event organized by the U.S. Embassy in Abidjan for Changemakers in Africa. In her speech, she mentions Lisa Lisley, a four-time Olympic medalist and Hall 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 of Famer basketball player. Here is a bit of her speech.
5: Doctors, lawyers, achievers successful entrepreneurs, and I feel like a shift is happening now. The diaspora, my parents, my dad, my mom, the generations past, they uh, the diaspora, the narrative around it was very much so, I was educated to an exodus, leaving our countries, pursuing higher education, finding other opportunities to work. I'm very grateful now to see that those things were sacrifices for us. The daughters, the sons, the next generation to live out our best lives. But the beauty is that it's coming full circle. I think Lisa spoke so well, and you know, so amazingly about this idea that we are curious. But not only are we curious, we're starting to pursue pathways of ownership. We go and we do what we're told. We have, you know, education. Lisa's speaking about getting a PhD. But then we start realizing maybe some of these institutions are not designed for people like us. Meaning, I'm speaking from the perspective of being in the US, being in spaces where you're typically the only person that looks like yourself. Now, that's why I love coming home, because we are at home. Our DNA is not what we look like, it's what's inside, how we move, how we motivate, how we achieve. And being able to be a part of a council that now prioritizes this idea of full circle where we are curious to come here and bring our friends. Now I've always gone because that's just who I am and that's how my family has raised me to appreciate my culture and heritage. But now that we have some levels of ownership and also people are starting to value us in ways that we have always been valued. And I'll give an example of this. The NBA is the biggest basketball league in the world, the WNBA as well. But they chose to start its first league outside of the NBA in Senegal. Why? They know that people are a power. They know that the de- determination and the opportunities, we are going to start owning them. And if we own them, that can be controlled. And so I think now with this council, it's a step in the right direction of saying that, hey, you know what? We see the beauty of what the diaspora has finally held, and something that we've always known. And we're going to use our resources to support you.
1: That was US uh, WNBA star Chiney speaking in Abidjan as the at the Africa Cup Nations tournament was beginning. Twenty-four teams from around Africa are competing in the qualification round. The round of sixteen begins January 27th. Uh, for all the Africa Cup of Nations action, check out the sunny side of sports wherever you listen to VOA and go to voafrica.com. <music> At least eight people are confirmed dead and men are missing after a wooden ferry carrying 100 people capsized in northwest Nigeria. The accident happened yesterday in Niger State as residents of Duga Village were traveling to a market in neighboring KB State to sell grain and cane sugar, sugar cane. A spokesperson for the Niger State Emergency Management Agency said sudden change in wind direction sank the overcrowded boat. Reuters reports that eight bodies were recovered and five people were rescued, but many others are missing. And a tropical cyclone caused heavy flooding in Mauritius yesterday as cars were washed away by surges of water in the Indian Ocean Islands capital and elsewhere. A motorcyclist died in an accident caused by the flooding, the government said. The government imposed a curfew and issued an order that everyone except emergency and health workers, members of the security services and those requiring medical treatment must return home and remain there. Some people were being evacuated as the floodwaters threatened houses and other buildings. Schools were closed and hospitals were told to only keep the emergency departments open. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Douglas Simpoga in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at viewafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Nabil Biaggio, and our engineer, Robert McLean, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.